Um, as you may recall, there was a class action lawsuit that was filed against convoy organizers um, on behalf of people in Ottawa who were subjected to, well, everything that went along with that convoy in January. Primarily, it was about the horn honking, though, and the noise pollution. Uh, part of the defense against that action includes an affidavit, and that affidavit includes texts and emails from Ottawa police to the organizers. And it gives us some understanding of how this all might have played out especially in the lead-up to it. So joining us now to talk about that, we have Michael Kempa, who's a criminologist from the University of Ottawa. Michael, uh, thanks for joining us. I appreciate your time today. No, thank you. Now, these messages, they actually start well in advance of a- any truckers arriving in Ottawa, which I think is important, right? It's sort of, when you read through them, it sort of looks like there was an attempt and an understanding to try and work together as police and organizers. Is that how you saw it? Well, that's what it appears to be. I mean, one of the things, it, this is a typical thing that happens between police and protesters in advance, is that they're meant to be in contact with one another to try to negotiate the parameters of acceptable protest. One of the things that this sets off in people's minds, though, is that there's been concern in Ottawa and elsewhere across Canada that there's been too much sympathy amongst police officers for this particular protest. Mm-hmm. So people are worried that the communication might have gone beyond what is normal. So now that the heat of the initial convoy protest has passed, we're going to have to detangle all of that and say what was normal communication and what was abnormal. And my reading of these initial emails is this was in the realm of the normal. Right, yeah. I mean, I think because you're absolutely right. There was lots of talk about, you know, police being on the side of the protesters and not doing their job and all that. But it would make sense to me that if you know there's a massive protest or any, not even a protest, but any big event about to arrive in your city as a police force, it would make really good sense to be in contact with the organizers and try and do some pre-planning. And that's what this seemed to be. Does this happen? Absolutely. That's what it appears to be. Now, we may find later that beyond the official communication that there were other problematic communications or tolerance between police and, and, and those amongst the protesters who were engaged in illegal activities, which was not everybody at the, uh, or even not the majority of protesters. But, you know, this is the stuff that's going to come out over the course of the next year. We shouldn't panic because we found out that the police were in communication with, with protest leadership. They do that for almost every protest of size yeah. that they have to manage. And, and, you know, I mean, it seemed to me like the, their, their correspondence was about trying to minimize the impact. But did you get the same impression that as the situation went on and continued, uh, the tone seemed to change and there was some discussion about, guys, this has gone on too long. It seemed like there was some communication that way as well. It definitely. Uh, the understanding of the situation, the, the chief at the time, Peter Slowly, the new interim chief, Steve Bell, have both publicly stated that they were given intelligence that the protest movement intended to stay in Ottawa for between two and three days, no more than 72 hours. So in exchange for that reasonable period of time, they were willing to give up certain lands that would help keep uh, the organization of the protest sort of away from the main part of the downtown core on Coventry Road, which is just a little bit outside of the downtown central business district. But then it seems that that intelligence was bad. The interim chief, Steve Bell, told the Public Safety Committee in Ottawa about 10 days ago that they 
they were they underestimated the size of the group that intended to stay well beyond three days, and they were. It, the communication shows that there was frustration mm-hmm. that 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 was not honored. You make a really good point, Michael. I mean, this is the first. Um, sort of public disclosure of some of this kind of information, but there's going to be a lot more. As this case makes its way through the court, uh, we know a number of the organizers will have their day in court. There's going to be a bunch of different legal wrangling around this, and we will continue to learn more and more as we go. And I think that's important, right? I mean, some of it we you know we may already know, but we need to get a fulsome understanding of how this happened and how we can work to you know, protect the right to protest next time, but at the same time not have it turn into what this turned into. Right. We have to get very clear on what is legal protest, which is obviously everybody's right, and when do you start to get into questions of illegal occupation, uh, criminal mischief, as a number of people have now been charged with, which is about not allowing people to use either their business space or public space for normal purposes and essential purposes. Separate all of that. It's very important that we stay calm and on top of the information as it comes out, because it's going to come in dribs and drabs yeah. over the course of the next year. We can't panic every time we get another little bit of information. And I hate to say it, I think a lot of people would like us to take little bits of information and run off in all different directions, because it distracts from the true narrative that will come out over the next year that may be uncomfortable to a lot of people. Follow the National Inquiry. Who's going to be on it? What are the parameters of this inquiry? Are they broad enough? Does the inquiry have enough authority to do a fulsome investigation? Don't be distracted by a couple of emails, in other words. Follow the big inquiry that's supposed to be coming, and let's make sure that it's the right kind of inquiry. Um, What are you watching for? What are some of the questions you have? What are you interested in learning more about? We need to know about why there are so many angry people um, in this country that were mobilized on the issue of COVID who ended up in a protest that raised a number of other issues that had nothing to do with vaccination. In other words, there were various streams of organization behind this. Some of them were legitimately concerned about COVID mandates. Other of them were making all manner of claims about the need to get rid of Prime Minister Trudeau, you know, as some sort of horrible dictator that must be removed from office at all costs by various coalitions with the Senate and the governor general or with other political parties. We need to find out more about who is pushing for these types of messages and what are the tactics that they're using to attract people who may have legitimate concerns about government overreach to their broader movement. What are we going to do about this? Because just because we've cleared the seats of Ottawa, the streets of Ottawa, a million unhappy people haven't disappeared overnight. Absolutely. Yeah, and um, and you're right. There'll be another cause come along that um, a lot of them will latch on to, for sure. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you kindly. That is Michael Kemp, uh, Kempa, who is a criminologist at University of Ottawa.